If you have uh, uh, had children or maybe even grandchildren, it's amazing when a new life comes into the world and you begin to watch the development of that child. Uh, At the beginning, the baby uh, cannot even hold his or her head up. And uh, that's when I just hand them over to the mother and let her do it. Uh, But then in time, uh, look, uh, he's sitting up straight and now she's crawling. And uh, and then you look to see, yes, uh, uh, he's standing up, grabbing up on furniture. And it's, you know, always dangerous during that time crash and fall constantly, but these are all the things we expect. And then uh, the first steps, and then uh, there's munchkinese. That's what we call the, out of our kids, you couldn't understand. They were just gibberish, you know, but they were getting their voices, and they were beginning to talk and saying the first words and so on. But if that doesn't happen, what is our response? Uh, this child is not talking at all, and uh, the months and the years are going by. We need to take him or her uh, to a specialist to have uh, her ears checked, her hearing checked, and so on. We expect growth and development. That's normal. We expect them to grow up and become adults and uh, move on from there. And that is the same expectation that our Father has of us. He expects us born again through the ministry of the Spirit of God. He expects us to to eat and and to grow and to mature, uh, becoming more and more like our Lord and our Savior. And when that doesn't happen, there's a concern by the elders. There's a concern by the, the deacons. There should be a concern of all of us, one for another. And that's what this text is about. Uh, The context here is an interesting one. We come to our third of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Pastoral warnings of concern and monishments to grow in holiness in chapter 2, in verses 1 to 4, uh, against ignoring God's word. <clears throat> it's come to you through the prophets and through the angels and now through the Son of God himself. Do not ignore this great message. In chapter 3 and 7 through 19, refusing to believe the gospel, uh, hardening one's heart against the good news. And now today in chapter 5, And verse 11 and following, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 12, uh, there is a a warning about not advancing, not pursuing maturity in the faith. There's a man's name that you heard me read here, Melchizedek. He's mentioned, but he's not explained. And the writer here first warns his readers of their immaturity, of their spiritual dullness, and their inability to grasp greater truths about Melchizedek, and therefore about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not ready yet. Something is wrong here. In verse 11, he says, your ears are dull. You become dull of hearing. 
And then again in chapter uh, 6 and verse 12, he says you are sluggish in the faith. So there are warnings here, there's consolation here, and there is hope uh, in these uh, verses. We're not going to look at all of that today, not enough time. So you're going to have to read uh, verse 11 all the way through verse 20 of chapter 6. Point number one, the problem of spiritual immaturity. That's what he points out in verses 11 and 12. He says, about this we have much to say about Melchizedek, verse 10, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. It's interesting, that's not a new warning to the people of God. This same warning comes out of the 95th Psalm Uh, where the writer there says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Listen to the word and respond to the word. They had a hearing problem all the way back then. It's hard to explain further doctrine, our author, our writer says to us, uh, in this case of Melchizedek, because you are dull. It means sluggish, lethargic. Literally, you have become sluggish in the ears. That's the problem. It's not a low IQ. It's an acquired condition. Uh, uh, One has learned to hear sermons, to hear the word, and kind of set them aside and not really hear them, not really take them in. Because one has, for so many years, for so long been one that has heard them. And so this is an exhortation not simply to young Christians, it's an exhortation to all of us uh, who have been in the faith and walk with the Lord. It's easy to grow dull of hearing. It's easy to be spiritually lazy. I've lost my taste for the word, is one way of putting it. I want my ears tickled. I want to be entertained. I I want to have fun. Uh, And yet, that's not where we're at this morning. We're here to worship. We're here to uh, hear the voice of the living God as his spirit opens his word to us. How can a, a young professing Christian man, over a period of about a year and a half to two years, study ideas on the internet, embracing doctrines of demons, but this is a professing Christian coming from a Christian family whose father is an elder. How can that take place and that young person come to the conviction that he would go out and kill someone, and that's exactly what he did, and someone else was Uh, harmed, maimed as a result as well, thinking that he would be a martyr, that people would now hear his message and would follow suit. How could that be? And yet that took place uh, uh, back in 2019. We know, um, we know the family of those of us in uh, San Marcos in North County, San Diego, And we just could not believe it. But you see, ideas have consequences. Wrong thinking brought in 
and meditated upon and received uh, has awful, awful, can have tragic consequences like that. So it's either the Word of God, you're taking it in, it's impacting your life and changing you, or we're taking in whatever uh, flows through the Internet or wherever we get our information. Uh, And it's going on constantly, uh, all the time, every single day. Now, you're hearing a sermon here. The larger catechism, question 160 Ask this, what is required of those that hear the word preached? That's a most important question. There's another question right there. What's required of those who preach the word? And I've read that for myself many times. But this one is for all of us here that hear sermons. And it's very detailed. And I recommend you look it up and think through it again. Maybe you're very familiar with it. Here's how it reads. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Saturday night, beginning to prepare my heart and my family to come to worship the Lord. We've done that for ever since we had, uh, well, ever since we were married and then began to have children. We have done that. We did that last night as a family rejoicing in the good news that we had heard and praising God. We read Psalm 127 together, really great psalm regarding the blessedness of of family, of marriage, of children, and so on. And so we were preparing ourselves for today. And then they say, you are to examine what you hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. That's bringing it in and humbly submitting to it, embracing it, letting it do its work within your heart and your mind. That means you're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. It doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. And then they, they say even more, you should receive it as the word of God. You should meditate and confer of it, hide it in your hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in your life, in my life. Are we doing that? That means we're wrestling with the word, we're embracing the word, we're taking it from this place, and we're looking at it and working it over praying that God would give us grace to understand, yes, and to walk in that word. Notice what he says in our text in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Instead, uh, you want me to repeat the ABCs to you again, Uh, This is a shameful situation, uh, and that's what's going on with at least some of them. You see, truth heard but not internalized and used will be lost. And that's a sad situation of so many people that have heard hundreds of sermons over the years. Some questions we need to ask ourselves 
I hope when you read your Bible at home, you sit before the Lord, you ask questions and you talk to him about the text and the text moves you to pray for certain needs and, and people and events. Do I know the basic doctrinal truths of the Bible? Am I competent in the scriptures? Am I growing and learning as a Christian? Am I advancing or have I come to a place of just comfort and uh, quietness and inactivity, spiritually speaking? Could I write out the gospel with five proof texts for the gospel? Could you do that today? If I handed paper out, you pass it around. Okay, what's the gospel? And give me five proof texts. Am I able to teach those younger than me? Am I able to teach them of the faith? Am I faithfully passing that faith on? As I've gotten older, I am more sensitive to those passages that talk about gray hair. And, and, uh, and the Psalms talk about that, and they talk about, Lord, give me vigor that I might continue to pass on the truth uh, to the next generation. Amen and amen. Point number two, the cause of spiritual immaturity. We see it in verse 12 and then 13. Uh, he's being kind of sarcastic here. Listen to this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. What? And then he goes on. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. That's a little sarcastic. You're acting like a baby. Can you picture adults uh, sucking on a thumb, wearing diapers, drinking milk only, uh, a church filled with adults professing Christ but acting like babies, selfish babies wanting my own way and uh, disputing with one another? This could be rendered literally, you have become having need of milk, not solid food. It's a picture of regression. They had been eating solid food, but now they're back to the bottle? What is that? They knew sound doctrine. They had just grown ambivalent toward it. You see, in the Christian life, we are either advancing or regressing, climbing or falling. There's no plateau. There's no neutrality. There's no coasting. Believe me, I've looked for it. <laughs> Who wouldn't like a nice plateau where there are no problems and no issues and you can just go, ah. Oh. But you'll be there someday in glory. But right now, it continues to be an ongoing battle. So who, who is a, a spiritual infant? Are you... An infant, or are you mature in Christ? Do you live on milk? Verse 13, are you unskilled in the word of righteousness? Or do you know your Bible? And can you open it to the edification of 
uh, your spouse, your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your neighbors who need to hear the good news. Is this referring, is our, our teacher here referring to doctrine or practice? And I would simply answer both. It's knowing and doing. It's living out sound doctrine. Doctrine should never be separated from my life. It is the foundation and the very strength of the Christian life and faith is sound doctrine, knowing the scriptures. Let me give you an example. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ by grace and at that very moment, our sins are completely removed from us. As far as the east is from the west, they are entirely forgiven. And we are given, it is a statement, God declares us righteous in Christ as if we had never, ever sinned. We are holy and pure before Almighty God. We stand righteous before God. Internally, we still struggle with sin, but nevertheless, our standing in Christ, it's an objective fact of the scriptures. They state that. And so uh, forever and ever, in one sense, justification, a foundation, we stand upon that. We are utterly and completely and eternally secure in that, in what Christ has done. Now that... That should change you. That should give us confidence. That should give us assurance. You see, I am not trying to do things to please God. My life is not a treadmill of trying to perform good works before people so they'll accept me. God has accepted me entirely in Christ Jesus, and I do works because I love the Lord. I don't have to do them to be saved. I'm already saved. Or to be forgiven or to be loved by God. He's loved me eternally. And because I'm in Christ, because I'm justified, uh, I am set free from everything that people struggle with in this world. Uh, and yet so often do Christians, we try to justify ourselves by what I'm doing or how I look or how... Uh, I'm living a life that fits in with everybody around me. If you're accepted by Almighty God, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, who cares about what the world has to say? You see, that's thinking on that doctrine and living out of the gospel, in essence, every single day. I must know what I believe in order to live what I believe. James says, don't be those who hear the preached word. Uh, it's a mirror for your soul. You look into the mirror. You see the uh, inconsistencies and the sin. You look at that. You see it. And then you go away and you completely forget about it. James says, don't be a forgetful hearer. Be an effectual doer. And that's what we need to be every Lord's Day morning, evening, throughout the week, whenever we open the scriptures May God grant you and myself, because it's not easy, it's hard, day in and day out, 
over the years, and the years are piling up quickly. We want to be those who are in love with the Lord because we love his word. Paul Tripp, writing on the subject of familiarity for Christians, he says, familiarity often does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. That's true. When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often, when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way that we live. And he gives an example of this. Let's pretend that you've moved to a new neighborhood, and the first morning when you go out, you walk your dog, you happen upon a beautiful municipal rose garden. Although Fido is yanking on his leash, you just stand there blown away at the display of early morning beauty that is before you. The sight, the colors, the smell, the aroma, it's, it's beautiful. The sun uh, opening these flowers up. You can hardly wait to get home and share this with your family. You want to bring them. You want to share it with them. But day after day, walking by uh, this beautiful picture, eventually, you don't think about it at all. Eventually, uh, it doesn't impact you like it used to. Bored? Indifferent? Are you numb? Or maybe lukewarm? Or do you love and delight in the Lord because of the scriptures he's given to you and the voice that he sends through those scriptures by the Spirit, you see? He witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. Ongoing, ongoing pursuit of the Lord. And that's the final point this morning. The cure for spiritual immaturity. And I, I'm convinced that probably 99% of you already know the answer to that and could share that with others, and I hope you are. What, what is the cure? Look at verse 14, the first part. But solid food is for the mature. Okay? Solid food. Maturity is seeing my flaws, my blind spots, my weaknesses, my sins as I read the scriptures. Maturity is acknowledging that before God, confessing these things, uh, repenting of them, and seeking him in prayer, saying, Lord, I need your grace. I need the power of your spirit within. I cannot live this Christian life. I cannot do these things. I cannot love my enemy and pray for those who hurt me, Lord. I need you. And as we mature in Christ, uh, at going through trials and difficulties, the scriptures you see are there, and we're gaining greater insight into them as we live them and as they live within us. Maturity is found in the solid food of God's word. I want spiritual steak. That's what I want. I don't want just a cup of milk. I want 
a big stake. But this doesn't just happen as it says here. It doesn't just happen. Look at the second part of verse 14. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Do you see that now? Constant practice. Are your powers of discernment being trained not simply on a Sunday morning, but every single day of the week? Do you work out spiritually? Do you discipline yourself even if it takes sacrifice and hard work? It's hard. It's hard to work out physically. The older we get, the more the couch is a lot more comfortable than going to a gym. My gym is outside going after the weeds and everything else on my property. That's how I work out. And that's hard. There are some days I say, I think I'm just going to stay here and read this book I got. And see, I'm retired, so I can read everything now. It's great. But it takes discipline, doesn't it? I remember lifting weights when I was in high school and then in college. And I remember going to the gym uh, in college and seeing certain people. They were repeat customers as well. And uh, I'm in there sweating. And, you know, you're not going to get anything out of it if you don't feel that real burn in your muscles, you know. So you can hardly walk out of the gym when you're done. But other people, they're walking around with a water bottle, and they've got the, the latest clothes and everything. And, and they're skinny and out of shape at the beginning. At the end of the semester, they were skinny and out of shape then. They were consistent. They didn't put the work in. They weren't disciplined. They weren't faithful and diligent. And you know what? Not to guilt trip us. We need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Give me your grace, uh, work within me, and by faith, I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to maybe just five minutes a day. Five minutes a day is so edifying. Do it again, do it again. Eventually, it's going to be more than five minutes a day. Start small and be faithful, and God will bless you. You see... Then we see the purpose of this and where it goes is to distinguish good from evil. Spiritual fruit, it's the ability to see the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, godly and worldly. Backing up in history all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve were challenged by the evil one. And they did not distinguish between good and evil. He was trying to get them to believe that what God had said to them was evil and God was holding something back from them, you see. They needed discernment. Eve was deceived and mystery of mysteries, Adam was not. He stepped right into the sin. Why? Only eternity will reveal that to us. I remember engaged to my wife uh, 41 years ago or so, and I was working in Newport Beach as a carpenter with another carpenter. One day we were talking about life, 
And uh, he, he was telling me about how he was living with his girlfriend and they were going to do this, that, and the other thing. And uh, that kind of opened the door a little bit. I said, well, I'm engaged to be, to be married and um, we don't live together. And uh, he, he just smiled and kind of scoffed and said, uh, how are you going to know if it's going to work out if you don't try it out for a while? You see, that was... And that's the common response even to this very day. And I'm so grateful that that wasn't something that shocked me or, or, or anything because I, I knew the, the Bible. The Bible is very clear about that. And it was so great to be able to discern clearly and speak to him of the gospel and what the real need was. Of course, he went his way scoffing, and I went my way rejoicing in God's good word. Bottom line, end of sermon. What did Paul pray for? Again and again, he prayed uh, for uh, what we're studying here in Hebrews. He prayed for people that he'd ministered to. Uh, in two passages, in Philippians 1, 9 and 10, and Colossians 1, 9 and 10, notice what he says. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at. And then in Colossians, uh, he says it again. 9 and 10, chapter 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be, may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word filled there is the same word used in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled, present tense, ongoing, filled with the Spirit. He wants you to be filled here with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The same as Hebrews is teaching us. Brothers and sisters, we need to grow like this, and we will if we learn that marvelous blessing and discipline. There are days we don't feel like it, but we continue on to open the scriptures and to open our hearts to God and God will meet with us. There are days of great joy and, and tears of joy and happiness. There are other days it's real calm. It doesn't seem like anything's coming across. Nevertheless, we continue to do it. We pursue the Lord, and he is faithful to open himself up to each and every one of us. No greater privilege in this world. The world to come is all about him and our relationship with him. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we rejoice in you, and I pray that you would cause us, each one of us, to think on these things, to do what we uh, heard together in the, uh, the larger catechism answer, and to know you better and better. And Father, in those times where you seem to be far away, help us strengthen our faith and help us to walk by faith, not by sight, 
not by our feelings, but trusting in the exhortations and the promises of your holy word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.